Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 85. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, I'm excited to have Miranda Marquette from PlantingMoneySeeds.com. How you doing, Miranda? Doing well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. I was looking forward to talking to you today about getting started investing. And it's a topic, of course, I talk about investing. I cover investing like billionaires. But one thing that I often overlook is people who are just getting started. So that's a great topic for us to cover today. Okay, great. Yeah, I think that's really important because a lot of people, when you start talking about investing, a lot of them do sort of gloss over their eyes, glaze over and they say, oh my gosh, that's for, that's for somebody that's a millionaire. That's for somebody who's out of my range. Maybe someday I'll get there. But for me, it's not for me right now. So when you say that, are you referring to like people get invested in their 401k and maybe they have an IRA, but they're not really sure what to do with it? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of people may a lot of them don't even think about their 401k or their IRA as investing. It's just that sort of account that sits there that some of their money goes to maybe uh, if if they manage to opt in. And that's the other problem is a lot of people don't even opt in because they are confronted with all of this information and they have no idea what to do with it and they just sort of push it away. Well, it is overwhelming for people for sure, but as you know, they have all that free money in potential matching that their employer might do for them. So it's like leaving a lot of money on the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've seen firsthand now that my husband has what we affectionately call a real job. Uh, he's got he's got an employer match right now. And it is amazing to see the difference and to watch how quickly his his account is now growing quickly as compared to my account, which is an IRA which I set up as a self-employed person. And so just to compare how quickly his account is growing just because of the employer match, it's crazy. Yeah, and you know, employers do that, of course, to encourage people to invest in their 401k. And you're right, people sign up and then they never set up the automatic deduction to go you know, really max out their 401k. And so then their employer can't give them the maximum free money. So really, they need to step one, really look at how much can they contribute and how much can they have matched by their employer, right? Oh, definitely. Yes. And even if you have a crappy 401k, if they're, if you're being offered a match, there is no reason why you shouldn't do what you can to get at least the maximum match. And if it makes more sense to take the rest of your money elsewhere to invest, fine. But at the very least, you want to start out with that maximum match. You want to make sure you're getting as much free money as you're entitled to from your employer. That's right. And I often recommend that to people even before really saving their nest egg or saving an emergency fund just because it is free money. So you want to make sure that you are 
making that contribution. Oh, definitely. And a lot of people kind of forget that once you start doing that and, and investing that, and once you start getting that free money, that match, it's going to go over time. It's going to build over time. And once you get that set up to be automatically dedu- deducted from your paycheck, and that's not that's money you don't have to think about anymore, and you can factor it into your overall budget as you're starting to do your emergency fund later, like you said. So the important thing is to you get that going, you get that started, and get the ball rolling, and it becomes automatic. And so it's just sort of there in the background doing its thing, and then you can focus on on the other aspects of your finances. Yeah, and it's so great that, that it's pre-tax, so there's no tax paid on that money too. Oh, yeah. If you're doing the traditional, if you go with the traditional IRA, then yeah, it, it reduces your tax liability. It grows more efficiently over time. And it's a great way to to just totally take advantage of of this whole this whole opportunity to grow your money at a better rate. Exactly. So let's say someone joined a new company. And so they signed up for their 401k, they have their automatic deductions coming out. What's the next thing they should do? Well, are you talking like with their 401k or if they yeah, want with to their 401k. branch out? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you're looking at it, most places will give you options. And that's where people start to glaze over a little bit because you're just looking at this list of options and you're like, how can I pick the right one? And one of the best things you can do is just look for an all-market fund. Just look for an all-market index fund with low fees and take a look at that and just look for something that's going to cover the whole market. When a lot of people think of investing, they think of um, they think of individual stock trading. And they think, oh, well, it's individual stock trading, and how do I pick a winner? But really, one of the best ways to invest and one of the ways that your 401k is great for investing is through these index funds. So instead of trying to trade and pick a stock, you pick an all-market fund that basically exposes you to the entire market and instead of trying to pick something, you're just going with market performance. And over time, when you look at stock market performance over time, the market as a whole, I mean, individual stocks are going to lose out, they're going to bomb, companies are going to crash, but the market as a whole over time has yet to lose in any given 25-year period. That's right. So so if you're in it for the long, that's the other thing you have to think about it. I'm in it for the long haul. This is a long haul thing. And if you invest in an all-market fund, that's you're not going to lose a lot of money to fees. You'll lose a little money to fees. But if you invest in an all-market fund, you can reduce how much you're paying in fees, and you just sort of go with the market. And that's just, you just go. Yeah. So sometimes those all-market funds are, uh, you know, covering about 5,000 different companies in the stock market. And the nice thing about that is, you get some of the big ones that are household names. You get some of the medium-sized companies that might be growing a little faster. And then you get some of the newer, smaller companies that might be a little bit more risky, but when you take them among a large group like that, you really have the diversification and it's really spread out. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the great things is it's like, so so if some of these companies go bankrupt, that's not going to be a big deal because the market as a whole will keep rushing forward. And, and you'll have that. You'll have that ability. Yeah. So I like that, too. The, you know, the alternative is a lot of times they'll break it down by asset class, which is like large company stocks, what we call mm-hmm. large caps, 
medium company stocks, mid caps, and small company stocks, small caps for any listeners who are just beginners. And then, you know, bonds, different categories of bonds, and then international companies, things like that. So we have different asset classes that typically people can go in and choose one from each asset class, which might be more of an advanced strategy for some people. But you're saying this strategy is just go in, kind of buy the entire market, a big group, and just let that do the work for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. And especially if you're an investor and if you're somebody, a beginning investor, I mean, if you're a beginning investor, and if you're somebody who experiences analysis paralysis a little bit, you know, when you're confronted with all of these options and you want to make sure you get the best and and it sort of paralyzes you a little bit, uh, this strategy is great because you go in and you get started with that and you get the ball rolling and then you can start to research and you can start to dig into it a little more and see if you want to change your strategy up later. But the important thing, because with investing, uh, time is on your side. You want to, as long as, as long as you're, you get in early, time is on your side, right? So the important thing is to be in as early as you can and just get it going and get it started. And while you've got this, you know, there's no such thing as a sure thing and you'll never be completely safe. But the nice thing about an all-market fund is it gives you a reasonable amount of growth that is likely to beat inflation over the long haul, but it also helps you balance your risks a little bit, your risk of loss, because you're investing in the market as a whole rather than trying to pick and choose a winning stock. And so the nice thing is is you have this nice balance of growth plus uh, lower risk, and so you can just get started and let it go, and then you can start researching on your own and start making those different decisions later and maybe mix it up later if you want when you feel more confident about things. But to just get started, that's what you want to do. You just want to get started with something and get that ball rolling so that you're building wealth in the background. Exactly. And and starting early really helps people compound for the long term. Oh, yes. I, there's There's all sorts of calculators out there that'll just show you the difference if you start five years earlier and if you start 10 years earlier, and when I did one, I started, I should have started five years earlier than I actually did. And, you know, you look at that calculator and you're like, man, man, <laughs> that five years makes a difference when it's compounded. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can you explain what dollar cost averaging is for people? Yeah, sorry. Um, so dollar cost averaging is a strategy in which you just you take a set amount of money each month and you invest it and you use it to buy as many shares of whatever it is you're investing it as you can at that price. And with dollar cost averaging, you usually set it up automatically so it happens the same time each month. So in my case, uh, I have my IRA set up, so I'm doing the dollar cost averaging every month. And every single month, uh, whatever the monthly, I checked a botch up, box on Betterment because I'm lazy, but whatever the monthly requirement is to uh, invest, to max out my IRA, that's, that's what goes in every month. So every month on the same day, the same amount of money is used to purchase however many shares are available at a certain price. So if you say, well, I can, I can, uh, I can invest $200 a month. And so you say every Every month on the 15th of the month, $200 will go to purchase the shares of this index fund. 
And if you have, if this, if the index fund shares cost fifty dollars a piece on the fifteenth when you are putting your two hundred dollars in, you will get four shares of that index fund because that's how much your money can buy. And if you set up an automatic plan, a lot of places have an automatic plan where you just do it automatically and it comes out and you don't have to think about it. Some of them will even let you buy partial shares. So you could get like half a share. And so the next month, if the price has gone up, then you'll be able, you'll, your money will only will buy fewer shares. But if the price goes down, then your money buys a greater number of shares. So it, it sort of evens out over time a lot of a lot of the time. But the whole point of dollar cost averaging is you're in there and you're consistent. And over time, this is a strategy that tends to help you build your portfolio very well because you're not uh, always buying and selling and paying transaction fees and and you know losing or like selling at the wrong time or buying at the wrong time. It's just this consistency that sort of uh, protects you a little bit. Yeah, so it helps you get your shares at a lower average cost yes. over time and takes that emotion out of investing because you know the market goes down, people get scared, and they don't want to buy when the market's down. So by having it on dollar cost averaging, it's like automatic pilot where it's buying it for you when maybe emotionally you might not want to do that. Yeah, and that's really important because... It all goes back to that whole, that whole lesson that Warren Buffett used to give about uh, buying when people are scared. So, so basically, when the market is down, that's the perfect time to be in there and buying because eventually it's likely to go up, and you can get your shares for bargain prices. Yeah, and over the long term, we can expect somewhere around eight to ten percent returns, right? Uh, that's what they tell us. <laughs> <laughs> At least historically, we could. Yeah, his historically, yes. I, I'm i a little bit more pessimistic. I usually plan when I'm making my long-term plans and, you know, whether it's for my emergency fund or my IRA or whatever it is I'm investing in, I usually uh, actually plan on like 5 to 6% because then I'll be happy, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good but plan. Yes, historically speaking, they tell us somewhere between 8 to 10%. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned checking a box in Betterment. Can you explain what Betterment is for people? Yeah, so Betterment is a one of those robo-advisor services, I guess. And basically what you do is they set you up and they set you up with an automatic investing plan and they figure out your asset allocation for you, which means they pick the funds for you. They pick different funds for you to invest your money in and then every month, they just take it and they invest it. Well, when you set up an, um, an IRA, when you set up your IRA, they actually have a little box you can check that, that says that it will just uh, keep, keep it up so that whatever you're investing each month is the maximum for your IRA. So like this year, it, you can contribute up to $5,500. So Betterment automatically divides that by 12 for you. And that's how much they take out of your account each month. And then next year, if they decide to raise the contribution limit, it'll automatically adjust your uh, your monthly investment, your automatic investment. So that's all that that means. So, so they kind of are really automating the whole process. They're actually yes. taking financial advisors out of the process. What do you think about that? Um, I think it works really well if you're saving for retirement and you just want to put something on automatic and not think about it. And you're just sort of, and you've got a long view. I think that 
it's really great if you're doing that sort of thing with your money and you just want something that will help you for the long term to sort of build wealth and take the emotion out of it and just do it automatically. I don't think that it's as useful for people who have a large number of assets, who have a high net worth, and who have a lot of different things that they want to do with their money. Uh, it does not, I mean, you know, they're not going to do your estate planning for you. They're not going to do a lot of your tax planning for you. They're not going to help you sit down and figure out an actual plan for your money. So as you, as you gain in net worth, as your finances become more complex, I definitely think an advisor is still needed. And you should probably turn to one. The nice thing about, and you know, you can keep your keep your robovisor account too as your net worth increases. I mean, if I ever get to the point where I decide I need a financial advisor, I would definitely just keep this account because it's consistent and it's easy and it manages it for me and figures it all out. But, you know, a robo-advisor still cannot take the place of somebody who can sit down with you and say, here are some other opportunities you might have and say real estate or starting your own business or investing in a business or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what dollar amount do you think someone would sort of graduate from Betterment to a trusted financial advisor? Oh, man. <laughs> I think it's different for everybody, right? Personal finance is personal. Um, I don't know. I say like once your net worth reaches a point where you start looking at it and you have to say to yourself, I have no idea what to do with this money. That's, you know, I, when you start looking at it saying, I don't know what to do with this money. Or when you start looking at it and saying, I'm not sure I, if you're looking at it, and you're saying, I think I'm paying too much taxes and I don't know what to do about that. Or if you're looking at it and saying, I would like to be able to leave a legacy, but I don't know how to set that up. That's when you go to, you know, when you start getting uncomfortable with how you're managing your money and you're not sure how to make it work properly because you have all these assets and you don't know how to kind of make an overall plan to sort of unify the way your money's working for you. I think that's when you go in, whether, whether you've reached a you know, net worth of a million dollars or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's my answer. I don't know. <laughs> well, certainly at, at around $100,000, there's a lot of different options that people have that they can look at. And, yeah, and that's that's investable. That's uh, investable assets. Correct. Saying, right. One hundred thousand right. dollars of investable assets, not like your total net worth or something. Correct. Yeah. Because yeah. then they have some different options that they can look at. They can look at what's called managed money with different managers who actually manage the money for you, rather than in a passive index type fund. Uh, right. And they can look at some potentially better performance. Which. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're looking for that extra kind of nudge there, then it might be worth it to you. Uh, one of the reasons why services like um, services like these robo-advisors are so cheap is because they don't have the wide range and they don't have that sort of human element taking care of your money. Yeah, which is really kind of an interesting trend, and it will be fascinating to see how this turns out You know, 20 or 30 years from now whether this really disrupts the whole financial services industry or whether it just takes the low end of the market or what it, you know, how it really works out. Have you read anything about that? Yeah. So right now the jury's kind of out <laughs> from mm. what I can tell, which, which makes sense. But I do think I really have a hard time seeing 
robo-advisors taking place of the high end. I think the, the, the service that the robo-advisors really provides is for basically the rest of us, right? The, the middle class to be able to go in there and say, hey, yeah, I can invest outside of my company 401k. And I can go in and I can save for these other things and I can learn more about investing and, and get started. You know, there's a low barrier to entry. So it kind of democratizes it a little bit more. But I think uh, in the future, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see this mass uh, robo-advisor thing going and actually uh, taking the place of financial advisors when you start getting up into the higher net worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. At least I hope not, because I think that would be... <laughs> You'd be in trouble. Yeah, I think it would be leaving a lot of options on the table that a traditional financial advisor could provide and additional diversification that a traditional financial advisor could could provide. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it is really interesting. I mean, it's interesting how it's captured a lot of the millennial market. And oh, yeah. it's so popular among the millennials. I mean, I really think if they're growing up with robo-advisors and they're not really even aware of what a traditional financial advisor can do differently, that's, you know, going to be really interesting in a few years to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I think in a few years, though, a lot of them will look at it and they'll, they'll look at their growing net worth and they'll say, well, the robo-advisor is great for my retirement fund. It's great for this you know, from this long-term goal that I have, but what do I do with this? And, and then they'll start rediscovering financial advisors, right? Mm-hmm. Because they'll be looking at it going, well, they can't help me with my, you know, grow my real estate portfolio. They can't help me figure out how to manage my business or find a good startup or whatever, you know, like the way of, you know, they can't help me with my tax, my long-term tax strategy, or help me put together a trust and figure out whether a trust is even right for me. You know, a robo-advisor can't do that. So I think as millennials age and grow up and their net worths grow, I think that they'll start to look at it and say, well, I need a little bit more tailored advice. Mm-hmm. And a, a personal financial planner or an attorney certainly can fill some of that role as well. So Right, definitely. Can, yeah, be helpful. So let's say someone has invested in their 401k and they want to get started outside of their 401k. Is there any different advice if they're just investing in a single investment account? Uh, so yeah, so outside their 401k, mm-hmm. uh, once again, you know, I love, I love the indexing. That's, that's like my favorite thing. Um, but I think once you, I think the important thing, once again, is if you're going to take it outside is to get started. If you're serious about it, there are lots of companies, a lot of discount brokerages that will let you open an account with $0 or $25 and you can start investing. And once again, I mean, you start out, you start out with that basic index fund, get comfortable, start out with your basic index fund and start looking around. You know, maybe you do want to be a value investor and start looking for value stocks. Maybe you do want to, you know, look at dividend stocks and maybe invest in some of the, what they're called, they're called dividend aristocrats. They're companies that have paid out, that continue to raise their dividends payout at least once a year for 25 consecutive years. So, you know, maybe you start looking into some of these individual stocks. Maybe you start deciding, well, I, you know, I want to try out some, you know, ETFs. I want to try these commodity ETFs. Look at some of these other kind of exotic type investments that I wouldn't normally look at. You can start 
considering that, but, you know, if you want to just get started, once again, I, it's to me, the basic place to start if you're a beginner is just to start with an all market index fund, because that gives you the foundation to build on. And then you can do all of your research later. So tell people about exchange traded funds if they're not familiar with what ETFs are. Yeah, so exchange traded funds, <laughs> there's this big complicated way of you know producing them, but basically they're a collection of investments. So a collection of underlying in like investments that are grouped together. And they're sort of they're sort of like a mutual fund. They're not a mutual fund, but they're sort of like a mutual fund in that you've got you know, you buy one share and you're basically exposed to everything on that list. Oh, I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> <laughs> but so, the, nice thing, the nice thing about exchange-traded funds is it's sort of like a tradable mutual fund. They trade like stocks on the exchange. So there's this big complicated process of figuring out how to build the ETF. But when you go to trade it, it trades like a stock on an exchange and there are ones that follow indexes. There are some that have a collection of like commodities or currencies or just or follow different underlying assets. But the important thing to understand with an ETF is you're not directly investing in those assets. When you buy a mutual fund, you are basically investing in each of the, you know, a little bit of that money in each of the thing, each of the assets in the in the, in the mutual fund. When you invest in an ETF, you're buying something that follows these underlying investments, but you're not actually investing in them themselves. Does that make sense? Sure. So it's like a <laughs> basket of a collection, like you said, of funds, of stocks. and Or, or, or commodities. Or commodities or, or, yeah. Yeah, there's just exposure to all sorts of things. Or bonds or different investments, but there's a collection that's they're organized by some sort of common theme and you can purchase that theme and it trades as a basket pretty much yeah but once again it is important to to understand that you're not investing in those underlying investments yeah so when you buy a mutual fund the mutual fund manager is buying and selling each company individually and right. pooling the money together in a similar type of basket situation but yeah but you're actually yeah. Uh, investing in each one of those companies. Right. So one has active management with the portfolio manager in a mutual fund. The other one has passive management. There's no buying and right. selling of the companies in there. You buy the whole basket. You own the whole basket. It stays the same basket. It doesn't change, right? Right. So, you know, it's it's been an interesting trend because years ago, of course, we just had actively managed funds with mutual funds. And now with exchange traded funds, they've totally taken over popularity a lot because they're so much easier to just choose the collection that you want and put together your own portfolio, but also because the fees are so much lower, right? Right. Yeah. So you can get an exchange traded fund and pay like 0.04%, right, as the annual fee. And then of course, if you buy it, it trades like a stock. So you have to pay whatever transaction fee you would pay for a stock purchase. But there are lots of brokerages like Vanguard, Fidelity, even E-Trade, um, Scott Trade. All of these have their own proprietary ETFs that they've built and they're commission free. And so if you like have an, a Vanguard account or a Fidelity account, if you go on there and you look for the commission free ETFs and they're all, you know, Vanguard branded, then you can usually get those and all you have to do is pay whatever whatever expense ratio there is to pay. 
And like I said, they can be as low as 0.04%. I mean, some of them go higher, of course. A lot of the ones that I'm invested in uh, through uh, Betterment have, have higher expense ratios. But, um, but yeah, you, it's easy to find one that has an expense ratio of you know, 0.25% or less. Yeah, because again, they don't have a have a manager that they have to pay, right. so they have lower expenses. And when you say they trade like a stock, that's a price per share, like a stock price per right. share, right. versus a mutual fund that might have a much higher initial investment. Right, exactly. And yeah, sometimes when you when you go to try and invest in a mutual fund, you may have to have a minimum. You may have to have two thousand five hundred dollars. You may have to have a five thousand dollar minimum. Um, and some places, some brokerages will charge you $19.99 to, to trade your mutual fund shares. And so, yeah, an ETF is it's cheaper. If, you're, if your broker trades ETFs for $4.95, that's, that's the price, and then you have your low expense ratio. And then, once again, like I said, there are plenty of brokerages, too, that have their own proprietary ETFs, and they'll let you trade those without a commission at all. You have your transaction fee, and then you you don't have to pay the transaction fee. All you have to do is pay the expense ratio. Yeah, and the minimum's so low that you really can start uh, an okay. account with very little money. Oh yeah, well yeah, you can if you're if you're willing to set up an automatic investment. A lot of them will let you start an account with zero dollars, as long as you sign up for automatic investing. So where where you sign up and sign an agreement where you let them take a certain amount of money out of your account each month and invest it. Awesome. And that's really the way to do it. Again, that's dollar cost averaging, really taking the emotion out of it and buying at a set time every month. So you're getting the best price over time. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, what is there any um, last words, Miranda, that you would have for someone who's a new investor just getting started? Uh, just get started. I, that's... <laughs> I, that's been kind of my mantra for the last few years is just get started. There are places you can start by investing, you know, 25, 50 bucks and you just start investing. And even if it's a small amount to start, it still helps. And every little bit helps. And the earlier you start, the better off you'll be. And as you, you know, start investing, as you see your portfolio grow, that'll increase your confidence. And you'll want to start looking for, for more money to invest and as your financial situation improves, you can increase that amount you're putting away. But the important thing is to get started and to get started now. Exactly. And to get that compounding going and working on your side. Yep. Absolutely. Miranda, how can people find you and learn more from you? Yeah. So my financial blog is plantingmoneyseeds.com. And I'm on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. And it's at mmarkwit. So... Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, plantingmoneyseeds.com. And then I do have a, there is a Facebook page too. Uh, Planting Money Seeds is the Facebook page. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Miranda. I hope people learn a lot from you. I think they will. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you for having me on. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.